0: Welcome to Everything Imaginable, a podcast for curious minds on KGRA Radio, and here is your host, Gary Cocholillo.
1: Welcome everyone to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cochulillo. Before we get started, I'd like to thank my contributors to the show. Executive producer, Candace Anderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger. Senior editor, Amanda Steele, author of Ghosts of Me. Binaural production engineer, Damian Keller, author of Sounds Good, Sounds Great. Monthly co-host, Jared Murphy, author of It's Not Aliens, It's Worse, It's Us. If you are interested in contributing to this podcast, go to my website, everythingimaginable2020.com, and you'll find a whole bunch of information on how you can contribute and keep the show going. And of course, also, I would like to thank all my listeners for uh, also supporting this podcast. And now, without any further ado, my guest for today is Guy Needler. Thank you for coming on today.
2: It's an honor and a pleasure, Gary. Thank you very much.
1: So, so you've written an, an array of books on different spiritual topics, um, and, and you go really deep. You, you, you go all the way into the spiritual creation of the universe. Um, That's right.
2: It's uh, well, it's beyond the universe. It's the multiverse, to be honest. <laughs> <And> yeah. Beyond.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know, man. C- can we start from the beginning? Like in terms of how people?
2: I got in, in terms of how I got involved with
1: this, how you got involved with it, and um, how, how, how this multiverse has gotten started, and why?
2: Oh wow! <laughs> we need a week or more, um, <laughs> or even a well, I, I
1: know we're going to have to do more than one episode already. I know that. <laughs> <laughs>
2: okay. Well, really, I mean, I've been involved with metaphysics for as long as I can remember. I mean, I can remember seeing things and mm-hmm. hearing things. Um, When I was about four, and I can remember seeing the the wind blowing past up past the house and across the chimney home, and yelling down to my mother, I saw this from my bedroom window and yelling down to my mother, you know, "Mama, I can see the wind," and uh, she she said, "Don't be so stupid. Nobody can see the wind." And that sort of made made me sort of wonder at the time whether there was whether I was being you know imagining it or being stupid or or whether there was something else going on. But I didn't sort of take any what's the word for it, uh, umbrage over it. I just carried on doing what I was doing. So I started to meditate um, over the years. I've read a number of different books in my teenage years. And um, one particular book that I was given when I was uh, an apprentice uh, at Lucas, which was a, an automotive vehicle uh, component manufacturers, I basically got this book by a chap called Lobster Ramper. And the book was called You Forever. And the guy who gave it to me was also very sort of metaphysical or spiritual. And he said to me, read read these books and be interested. Um, I also read the first three books, which were sort of describing his life and how he became um, a a, a better monk and how he he ended up being in in Canada as it happened. And so I read this book, You Forever, which was supposed to have originally been a correspondence course, but ended up being a a document, really, for teaching people how to do things like astral traveling, telekinesis, uh, psychometry, um, telepathy, and all these different metaphysical things. And, and so I continued to practice meditation for, basically, uh, all the time I was at my late, late teenage years. And then one morning, I was doing my, mo- my morning meditation, and um i was visited uh or, or saw or perceived whichever you want to call it a group of four entities who looked like human beings but they were sort of slightly slightly out of focus but they were they were wearing what i would describe as being white robes and they said to me what i was doing was right what i was understanding was right what i was researching into was right what i was practicing was right, was practicing was right. Mm-hmm. but <clears throat> it wasn't the right time so I basically from that point onwards <laughs> I sort of backed away from my metaphysical studies not totally but I would say 95 percent of them so I in effect started to be be involved and be, became immersed in my incarnation and from I did what everybody else did you know I sought to better myself i Went and did night school and did a couple of master's degrees. I, and became a chartered engineer. I saw promotion within work and with my, my wife, we, we found a house and would be sort of an old cottage and we spent a lot of money, a lot of time rebuilding that cottage to get it right. And so I became really sort of, in effect, the, the, the archetypical sort of materialistic individual, really. Okay. And, and, and everything was going okay until. When I was doing one of my uh, master's degrees, there was a lady there who was on one of her courses, and she said, Oh, um, I know you're sort of into metaphysics could be, sort of, be talked sort of loosely around it. And she said, Do you want to go to a Reiki share? And I said, No, no, not interested in Reiki. It? It's uh, somebody else's um, interest, that is not mine. Anyway, after about six months of, of you know, every now and then just asking me, I, I eventually... Sort of capitulated and, and went and um 12 months later <laughs> i ended up being a reiki master which is a quite a meteoric um change in direction but also a meteoric rise in terms of doing doing the reiki and going through the different levels you can, you can achieve so i continued to do that for a little bit and then i got involved with <clears throat> uh, uh, an energy healer who was giving me some homeopathics as well because I was I was struggling with one of the courses and also struggled to focus on things at work. So that gentleman gave me some homeopathics and also talked about his teacher who was Barbara Brennan. And um, Barbara Brennan, as you may may or may not know, is one of the leading forebearers of scientific applications of energy healing <clears throat> um, within the States. She one of a group of individuals who, who triangulated together to create a, a holistic system. There was uh, Barbara doing the energy healing, uh, John and Eva Piriakos, who were doing the medical side of things and creating physical, um, shall we say, adaptations to allow him to see the human aura. And his wife, Eva, was channeling source or God. And there was Susan and Donovan Tisenga, who were creating the Pathwork series, who were In effect, allowed us to cleanse ourselves and give ourselves a fresh start, so we we could move forward as healers without being encumbered by our own stuff and passing our own stuff on to our our patients. So that was so. That ended up being quite quite good. Then I found out that he moved on and he uh, passed me on to another healer who also went to the same school and was in the same year as this other gentleman. And um, literally within a month of me going to see this lady. I was feeling good and, the, and all of the problems with focus had disappeared. And she said, oh, I'm going to do a course. And uh, I'm going to invite uh, a gentleman down called Rolf Stein, who was another, uh, one of the very first generation students of Barbara. He's got a place in, in Switzerland called the Snowline Center. And uh, we're going to do an introductory inter- weekend. And if you're interested, you post- we'll do the, um, the course that I did exactly as I did it. It'll take four years. So I went along to the uh, the weekend workshop and was hooked and signed up for the four years and it ended up being a really a really hard four years. It's much much harder than my master's degree, I have to say, because oh, wow. of the homework and the study and the personal the personal work we had to do. And uh, <clears throat> one of the things we had to do as part of the healing was to under, was to raise our frequencies, and we raised our frequencies by. Um, opening the chakras and when we opened our chakras or certain chakras it allowed us to heal various aspects of the human form that we that we can't see the energy templates, and of course healer chakras on the frequencies that they are predominantly represented by or, rep- or represent so to speak and um, so we were doing this and we would in the class we would share each other you know we, we would heal each other so to speak but then a couple of the the students there, said they were being freaked out by what they were seeing. That they were going somewhere else, other than the, the sort of the healing space, so to speak, that um, we were supposed to be going to. And so, the, my teacher uh, Helen said, "You know, you've got to control yourself. You, you're going, you well, well out to the frequencies associated with the healing you're doing." But I hadn't got a clue what I was doing. <laughs> I, I just thought I'm going to these different places. So after i got chastised a few times in class which wasn't very nice um i decided that i was going to research what i was doing i would would try to control myself and use my own desire and intention to stay at the levels i was supposed to i didn't know why i was moving higher but but i just i just knew i was so i had to stop that but i thought on the side i would create i would try to create some sort of metric that would allow me to know where i was so over a period of a a bunch of years i every morning i'd start meditating and I would create a system that allowed me to move up and down these frequencies in a a logical and repeatable and robust way. And I I eventually created one, which I've modified later as a workshop for people to do as well. Anyway, in effect, during these these excursions up and down the frequencies, I noticed I was able to communicate with different entities. Um, Either incarnate at frequencies higher than where we are now on the on the physical universe, or in the physical universe, and of course on on Earth, and later I found there was other other entities at that a that really higher fre- really higher frequency, which I now know is at evolutionary levels, and I eventually got in contact with a, a much larger entity that I, I found was was called the Source or what we would call God. So I ended up communicating with that and getting information about the what I call the greater reality and and the the universe that we're in, and then it said that he was he was it had created a multiversal environment for for it to understand itself, and to assist it in itself, it's divided itself into into basically two parts. itself, a chunk of itself that was this environment that mm-hmm. is a, a function of its own structure, which we call a multiverse, and then smaller individualised units of its own sentience and energy to deep dive into these other areas. That it, it couldn't you know, go deep in, into itself. It's a bit like us trying to you know, look at things that we can't see unless we use a literal microscope. Okay. So we're, we're too big to understand our own atoms in our yeah. body, for instance, but it's that sort of concept. And, uh, and so I started to understand a bit more about who and what we are. And then I found out I was able to connect with another entity and, and that I could move outside of the constraints of the structure of that. Entity that we call God and go further into another area that was also occupied by other entities that were of similar type as, the, of, of, as our source, our God, but doing their own thing in different ways. But they were all within another area that was classified as um, the origin, and he got his own level of sentience. And um, I've since, I later found out quite by luck, because I was given a book by. Um, a friend of mine uh who read books by a chap called yogi ramachikara ramachara mm-hmm. who was uh, an indian yogi who moved to the states um before the 1900s so he lived in chicago <clears throat> and in one of his books he talks about eastern mysticism and occultism um i just opened a page and it described exactly what i'd what i'd understood about the origin and they call the origin the, the absolute or all that is right. uh, or that which is beyond God. And so, in effect, what I started to do is, as I was getting the information every morning, I would discuss it with my wife on the way to work. And um, I'd, I'd been given this, this gift, as it happened, that we allowed me to have total recall. So when I had my lunch break, I was able to get on the computer because we we got computers at work at the time and I just basically just wrote it up all of the things that I experienced I I wrote up and it was interesting it just just, everything just happened but I was also I also had a a session um, when I went to and had a a visitation by some other entities who assisted in my rewiring and that accelerated things significantly that was in a place called Trollhattan uh, just outside, um, not, well, not too far from Gothenburg. Mm. And, uh, that happened, that happened in 2000. I, I went back to, went back to that area about five times. Um, I was told later by somebody in a place called the College of Psychic Studies, which is, um, uh, in London, that I'd got a contract with these entities and I had to go to see them to be topped up or retuned or recalibrated so that I could continue to do things on my own. And I would know what what that meant later. And of course, as I started to understand what I was doing, I got more and more information. And I started to journalise. I started to refer to other books. So people like Neil Walsh, for instance, or Eckhart Tolle, and and other authors. I looked at the information and I thought, well, what what I'm getting is a completely different angle, a completely different depth. So I wonder if I could create a book out of it and um I submitted it to a, a bunch of different or a or, uh, bunch of different publishers and eventually Dolores Cannon's publishing uh, company Ozark Mountain Publishing took the book and um the rest is history <laughs> eight books later and i'm working on a knife.
1: it's incredible. incredible yeah so you really went far um What the entities that you've communicated with? Like, um, I mean, how vast? I mean, like, I've always suspected, like what you just said. I've always suspected that the our our existence is God or some type of entity trying to understand itself, and so so it split itself up and and is trying to figure things out you know and then I always wonder though like who created that entity you know did it just come Mm. out of nowhere and is it is there a single source or is there some type of loop that's happening
2: Uh, yeah now interestingly enough I'm starting to realize that there might be more than just 12 source entities there might be 12 other groups of 12 (laughs) Mm -hmm. in total which is another, which is a function of another book I'm, I'm, I'm going to write um, after this particular book, which is based upon my communications with another group of entities, which are, <clears throat> shall we say, they're not, they weren't created, they were uncreated, or shall we say, they were, they were a, um, a mistake. If <laughs> that makes any sense. <laughs> but what I've understood, what I've understood is that the this, the origin, which which the Hindus call the absolute or or the all there is or that which is beyond God. Um, basically is the function of what we would classify as standard evolution of energy. So it's almost like Darwinian evolution. It's energy that sort of groups together because if it's similar or same frequency or similar or same energy type. And eventually that energy becomes so big, it's able to create its own sort of rudimentary desire to seek out other energies of same, similar or same frequency. And as a result of that, it gets very, very rudimentary intelligence, and then as it gets bigger and bigger and more condensed, it gets more intelligence and becomes able to really actively seek out similar or the same, or even to stimulate um, energies and frequencies which aren't quite the same, but could be um, adopted into the overall as a as a as a hybrid. Mm-hmm. And then it goes into being sort of conscious of doing this, and from consciousness to the, to doing it, it starts to experiment with how it's doing it and what it can do and when it can do it and what energies it can create and whether it can recreate additional energies, for example. And then it would go into different levels of understanding who it is, experimentation, creation, uh, recreation, um, and then it goes into sentience. And then the sentience starts to realize that it is nothing. The the sentience itself, although it's born through um, energy and frequency, it actually can detach itself from that energy and frequency and move around. The structure of that which it did, and so that's how the origin basically evolved. It's, 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 you know, look really. Although there was another aspect of the evolution that was happening concurrently, and that's something called event space. And event space at the time, uh, event space is what we exist in. By the way, we don't exist in time. We exist in a series of events, and event streams, and event bubbles, etc., etc. And within, within each of these, there's different realities as well. I think sort of localized, or global, or universal realities, and the same is through the event spaces. There's localized, there's, you know, planet-sized, galactic-sized, universe-sized, multiverse-sized event um, spaces. And these are the parallel conditions we talk about. You know, parallel universes, not parallel realities. They're sort of a different thing. And um and so it's it's sort of started to understand that it needs to, you need to understand itself, but it realized that there was something bigger there. So this event space started to realize that there's a a potential for another much more comprehensive and complete um, being, because a being evolves where an entity is created by another entity or being. And so it, it sacrificed its own future, so to speak, its own dominance as the dominant sentience to allow this other sentience to take mastery. Of the energies and the frequencies, <clears throat> and so then space specialized itself into doing one thing, which is allowing parallel conditions to pop into existence and collapse out of existence. But created a condition where this other being, the uh, the origin, could be could come into dominance, and so it sacrificed itself because it knew there'd be a, a, a bigger function of sentence associated with it, and so this origin was on its own in effect. And but when he was investigating itself, you know by that time it was very very small. um But <clears> he <throat> realised that its energy that it was part of was vast, vast and unfathomable.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: It started to understand itself, try to understand itself, and it realised that if it did things. Like, involve creativity. It would, it was a crusade that we call evolution. And it called the evolution. It was progression. And, and everything else is associated with evolution. So it desired this. So it decided it was going to create smaller versions of itself. Um, and give it the same, give those the same opportunity so that its evolution could happen in parallel. But that failed primarily because if you don't know what you are, how can you replace, how can you recreate yourself? <laughs> you don't know how big you are, how can you recreate the size? Excellent. So that sort of failed. Yeah, that sort of failed. we mm-hmm. so decided to regroup those energies and, and the sentence associated with them and then reassign them into, into smaller entities that would be given a reason to be. And they would be told that they've got to experience, learn, and evolve in any way possible. And how they do it is up to them. And those were the source entities. And one of those is our, you know, our creator, and our God. And um, in doing so, it, it, our creator, our God, created smaller, again, individualized versions of itself, which are our, what I'm told to call our true energetic selves. And we sometimes call them, the Hindus call them a Godhead, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, or higher self, or Oversoul, in Dolores canon speaks, the QHHT, her, her healing technique based on um, hypnosis. And the, each of these sort of higher selves, if you like, can also create smaller versions, up to 12, 12 smaller versions themselves to do things in, in parallel. And each of these, 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 as- these smaller aspects, or what, what we call a soul, can make sub or shards as I call them, which are much smaller levels of sentience, and again there's 12, to again... Do things in a parallel way. So as we all contribute towards our own evolution, that evolution is also contributed towards the source's of the evolution, which is also contribute towards the, the origins evolution. And the origins evolution is based upon understanding itself, knowing the detail about itself through the use of these other entities, and <clears throat> expanding its own volume of, of polyomission, sentient self-awareness. And... Um, and um not just omniscience, just omniscience as well not just omniscience but being being everywhere at once as well uh so it's omnipresence poly omnipresence on top of the course and then so it's found through this that there are 12 sets of structure associated with itself but that's just the first structure yes. <laughs> there's, um, <laughs> there's potentially there's potentially 12 more after that and and but the thing is the the size of this is exponential, significantly exponential. And um, to understand itself, each of the source entities has to really dig deep into the area of, well, I should say the volume of energy, energy and frequency and the structure there that their sentence is associated with by the use of its smaller individualized units, us. And when when it's fully understood, it then moves on to another level, to a different location. Well, this moving on is, the, is, is basically the end of a of an evolutionary cycle. And so, when we what we're in now is an, we're in an evolutionary cycle. And when we understand, when we understand when the source, understands everything about itself in this particular location within the origin, it regathers everything together. Everything evolves to the point of re with the source or re-communing with God. That sentence detaches itself from that particular location within the uh, the origin, finds another location and repopulates its sentience within that structure, and then starts again in another, you know, another period of understanding and experience and interaction with whatever's there. And so that's another, that's become another evolution cycle. And again, when I understood this, I I was drawn to this book again by Yogi Ramachara. <laughs> and again, I found straight away another page that we, that, we, that completely described what I was talking about, but but described it in terms of the ebb and flow of the of the universe. They didn't use the word multiverse then because it, this wasn't a concept they, that was being taught. Um, so a universe meant multiverse basically, mm-hmm. and the the objective was that you know the universe would breathe in and breathe out. Well, so breathing in it's sort of sucking back all the senses back into itself. Moving on, then breathing out, it's repopulating its sentience into these different areas. And it it just suddenly just clicked that what I was picking up was a more scientific, in today's language, that is, understanding of what is old ancient Hindu knowledge. But that ancient, that ancient Hindu knowledge, um, can't possibly be, for want of a better word, as detailed as we know it now. Because the, the level of education, and level of knowledge, wasn't as as it is now. They, they they would have had focus on different levels of beingness, so to speak, or even technology in those days. Different levels of spiritualism, whereas we are a, a diff, we're we're more te- technically biased in, in, in today's world. So our, our vocabulary is more is broader and deeper. Mm-hmm. So you know you can see where. <clears throat> You can see the link, though, where the old knowledge, although I wasn't aware of it, is, a, is equal to the new the new knowledge that I'm, I'm aware of. So you can see that it's actually robust. It, it's, just, it's just that the, the information is thousands of years old versus a new understanding of what that knowledge is based upon interacting in a different way. Uh-oh.
1: I couldn't agree with you more on that. I definitely think... Um, you know they they had an understanding, but they didn't have the the language to communicate it as well as we do now. And um, yeah, it's amazing. Um, are we the lowest level of sentient beings?
2: No, actually, we're quite high.
1: <laughs> are we? That's good.
2: Yeah, we we as as, as incarnate human beings, we are. Or, wants a better word. We are allowed to have individualized free will, and that individualized free will is quite an important gift. It means that we are masters of who, whom, what we are, and what we do. We have ultimate power to to create to create ultimately create ultimate joy or ultimate destruction, and that is a. Uh, it's a really complicated, deep and effective though, way of creating the possibility of evolving really quickly. <clears throat> There's obviously lots of other different uh, entities who are incarnate in the physical universe, um, because the physical universe is the the place where we can evolve faster. And we evolve faster in the physical universe because It's so difficult to be in. It's really low frequency. And because it's really low frequency, we don't, we have much, a lot more difficulty in understanding who and what we are and functioning properly. And so in wading through this, this treacle of low frequency existence, we give ourselves a possibility of, for want of a better word, learning much more through putting ourselves in a period of difficulty than what we would do if, if, if existence was really easy if that makes any sense at all it's it's, it's the harder the harder the task we give ourselves mm-hmm. the more we struggle the more we evolve
1: interesting um do the entities that vibrate at a higher rate than us do they perceive more and have more knowledge and wisdom than we do or is it just different
2: um we, we all evolve in different ways and we all evolve at, at different speeds as well. And that doesn't matter. Not what, there's no one individual who is more evolved than another uh, in terms of their evolutionary level. But although they, one can be more evolved than another, that's, it doesn't mean that one's doing worse and one's doing better. It just means that, in effect, the overall evolutionary progression is being done in a completely diversified way, which is perfect. Because we don't want every entity to, you know, travel from New York to to um, Los Angeles on a plane, do we? Yeah. If, you, if you think of evolution as as being the ability to go from A to B, you know, then somebody could go from New York to to Los Angeles in an aeroplane, and they get there, and you know, they've they've taken the point of going from A to B, and it's been and it's fast, and it's, it's evolution. But if somebody goes there by by hitchhiking their way there or by going a motorbike or a motor car or by taking greyhound buses or you know or or walking walking across you know that's a different level of understanding of that journey and so although they do the same thing eventually it's a deeper level of evolutionary progression than the evolutionary progression progression that is uh, achieved by going by plane and so we When we incarnate, the objective is not to get there as fast as possible, although mm-hmm. some do, clearly. Uh, the objective is to really is to you know look at the scenery, observe what is happening around us, interact with those other entities that are also you know incarnate or a higher frequency and observing things. So when we're at lower frequency, although we can't see entities that are higher frequency, we are evolving faster and in more depth and detail. Than they are because we've put ourselves in a more difficult environment to exist and be within. But um, if we look at, you know, different entities um, can incarnate at different frequencies within the physical within the, within the physical universe. The physical universe is rather unique because it's the only universe that's within the multiverse. It's got 12 frequencies to create and that's because they're all low frequency. So it's a bit like using 12 memory sticks to store a single file on. Whereas you can have um, other memory sticks that have got, you know, you know 256 gigabytes is an example that would have 256, you know, universes in, so to speak, whereas we might have to have, if we, if we had a memory stick that's 128 uh, or, 60, or 64, 64 uh, megabytes, <laughs> you know, you have to have lots of memory sticks to, to create a, a universe. So it's, it's, it's rather unique, and that's, this, is, this is why we incarnate into it. And, of course, if we, if we incarnate a different, into different frequency levels, the level of density, so to speak, is, is obviously more diffuse. So those entities that are on the fourth frequency level, which is, in my understanding and description, is equal to the lower astral, for example, mm-hmm. they can see us. They can interact with us by lowering their frequency temporarily, but we can't see them because it's too high. Well beyond our visual range, well beyond our detecting range, well beyond any sensory um, uh, <clears throat> machinery that we've created, because that's based upon our, our five physical senses. So, you know, we can't see what's above us, but they, but, but they can see what's below them and what's on their level. And so, if, if we go to the fifth frequency level, which is the the upper or lower astral. Yeah, entities that incarnate to that level, irrespective of whether on Earth or whether they are other parts of the physical universe, they can see what's on the fourth and fifth and third frequency, but they can't see what's on the sixth. Same with the sixth. They can see what's on the fifth, sixth, fifth, fourth and third frequency, but they can't see what's on the seventh. And all of this exists in the same space. So although we can't see, there's other buildings, there's other, other individuals, there's other you know, incarnate body types are on the earth that we can't see because it's occupying the same space but a different frequency mm-hmm. and so but the but the the the, the just because they resonated a higher frequency doesn't mean they're hot they are a higher entity it just means that they've chosen to incarnate into that particular frequency level in the physical universe okay. to experience a level of the, of incarnate existence but one that allows them to have more Communicative ability with who, with their higher self, for example, and and even so.
1: So, are we at the third frequency? Unfortunately, yes. Okay, so, so that means we um, can, we can perceive the second and first.
2: Hmm. It's not like that. Um, the third frequency is actually a combination of the first and second frequency. The first three frequencies are, are required to create the gross physical after that everything else can exist almost independently of of, of the first three frequencies so scientific mankind calls this the fir- third dimension but well, it's, it, it's not it can't be because the third dimension is a much higher piece of structure much higher piece of structure but the third dimension is based upon a metric you know, height depth and the width and unfortunately it's been taken as being a um, a universal structural, or, or even multiversal structural item, which, which 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 it's not. So we we need to understand that we, we need to think in terms of the gross physical of the first three frequencies, not the first three dimensions. But some but the first three dimensions are really dimension, You know, height, width, and depth. That's that's basically it. And if, and we and we know this is true because. When spiritualists talk about our ascension, they say, "Oh, we're going to evolve into the fourth, into the fifth dimension." Right. Okay. So, what about why aren't we going to the fourth dimension? Oh, the fourth dimension is time. Oh, time doesn't exist. No, oh, no, we know time doesn't exist. So, hang about. It. If time doesn't exist, why have you just said that the fourth dimension is time? Um, and they can't explain that. And that's because we can't leapfrog the whole dimension. In our in our evolutionary progression, and we can't do that whilst we're incarnate. So the fourth, so these dimensions aren't anything to do with what scientific and, and spiritual spiritual mankind understands about them. And some of them are starting to understand this now. It is a higher piece of structure. The the, the multiverse is created through um, three levels of structure: frequency, subdimension, and, and full dimension. And in my understanding, the multiverse is just a a function of the structure of the of the source our creator and so if we consider that the first full dimension is what houses all of those frequencies and it's it's also got sub-dimensions but they those sub-dimensions don't work in the same way as as every other full dimension because it's so low frequency so it it all collapses back into a composite sub-dimension which only allows the potential to to have 12 frequencies created and those 12 frequencies are so low that they're all required to house this universe, this mm-hmm. physical universe. But every other full dimension upwards to the, to the 12th full dimension, because everything's based upon 12. It's a, it's a function of the structure of the origin. It's it's, 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 bizarre. I don't know why that's better than why the structure is based on 12, but it, but it is apparently and everything I've seen is based on 12. Everything I've, I've understood is based on 12, which is amazing. So we look at the second full dimension up to the 12th full dimension. They all behave in the same way, they, although they, <clears throat> they are, they, they increase in their finitude and their capacity to have, it, um, to have um, universal contents within them. So, those eleven full dimensions can also split out into three subdimensional components, and each of those subdimensional components can further spread out into twelve frequencies. And each of those frequency levels or frequency bands has the capability of and does support a self-contained, simultaneous universal environment in our right. So, of which we, we have to, you know, experience, learn and evolve within mm. and interact with other entities or beings that are in there. So we have 11 times 3 times 12, which is 396 frequencies or therefore 396 universes. But if we include the, the, the first full dimension, we've got twelve additional frequencies which makes you four hundred and eight frequencies, but we're only one additional um, universe which makes it three hundred ninety seven universes. And so that's the multiverse. It's 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 a series of <clears throat> structural steps of which its first building block is is is, is a frequential state. And we have to experience everything mm-hmm. before wow. we can finish our evolution cycle. <laughs> that's
1: a lot. <laughs> <Yeah. clears throat> Are we limited to just this dimension as a physical body? Um, like, like, what would happen? Can a physical body, for example, exist in the sixth de- dimension? Or would the body just collapse there because the vibration and density is so different?
2: It's, uh, well, as we go through the, the higher frequencies associated with the universe, as it is in the first dimension, when we get to around the seventh and eighth frequencies, the 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 vehicle that we incarnate into is so diffuse it's, you, you could you could almost argue that it's not incarnation but it is because it's associated it's, it's a, a vehicle that we use it's associated with the frequency that is part of the structure of the of the physical universe so it's still classified as being physical um, <clears throat> when we go past the 12 frequency we go into the first frequency of the 1st subdimensional sub-dimensional component of the, of the second full dimension and therefore, we go into another universe totally, and so and that's an energetic system, not a not a frequent, frequential physical system. Mm. The thing is that when we're higher frequency, we we are able to access more of our functions. Our communicative ability is increased significantly, and so we start to realise who and what we are. Um, we start to be able to communicate vast distances without the use of telephones or Computers, and we can manipulate the the environment that we're in to some to some extent, which increases the higher the frequency we are. But a but a physical body isn't necessary in the well. Once we get out of the physical universe, we, we, we our sentence doesn't use a doesn't use a physical body at all. No need for it. In fact, there's no. In fact, it's just something we use in the physical universe and the gross physical body that we've got now and those other versions of gross physical body that are the third frequency uh within the physical universe are what we use to experience the lowest frequencies in think of them as a diving suit <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
2: and and we, we sort of put this diving suit on so we can experience the environment underwater which is a good example of a, of a, of a lower frequency right.
1: that's a great analogy um do astral beings, like like once the beings that exist without bodies, the astral beings, the ones that are on higher frequency, do they experience pain, sickness, and death like we do?
2: Well, astral astral entities, in uh, fact, can exist in four levels, actually, the fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh frequency levels, which are the lower astral, the upper astral, sorry, the lower astral, the upper lower astral, the lower upper astral, and the upper astral. Um... <clears throat> they are they are entities or beings and an entity is an, is an entity that's created by the division of sentence from another entity or being whereas a being is something which is being created as a function of sort of the same sort of evolutionary process that the that the origin was created with so-called darwinian um attractive forces associated with, with energies but um In in effect, we they wouldn't experience pain like we do the gross physical, even the fourth level, the lowest, the lowest, the lowest of the astral level, so to speak. They don't have the same interaction with the gross physical, the gross physicals we do. So the physical body wouldn't expect their bare version of the physical body wouldn't wouldn't accept wouldn't have the same level of um, problem in certain, in, resulting from disease or dementia or or destruction, like accidents, those sorts of things at all. Hmm.
1: So you don't have to deal with with some of the things that we have to deal with. Um.
2: No, and indeed, uh, in in, in, in essence, um, we don't have to deal with this, but because we allow ourselves to be low frequency, and we have low frequency thoughts, behaviour and actions, we associate ourselves with the physical form so much we disassociate ourselves from the capability of being able to manipulate our environment. And if we were able to exist at a higher frequency whilst also being incarnate, we would be able to affect the shall we say, the the quantum structure of the of the physical form that we're in and we could perpetuate its existence uh, ad infinitum. Mm-hmm.
1: So I, I've heard two different models of, of this idea of the self. One is, um, you know, that there's a self and it's going to evolve through these different frequencies and back to the source. And then the other model is that there are multiple selves existing on all these different planes at the same time.
2: Um, <clears throat> well, we do have parallel versions of ourselves. And the parallel versions of ourselves are created through our own choices. So if we have to make a decision, let's say we're traveling on a bus and we get off the bus and we can, on the sidewalk, and we can turn left or right. That's a decision. Um, So one of us turns right and the one turns left, and there ends up being two of us. And this allows us to experience different things in a parallel condition. But it's not just parallel from a linear perspective; it's parallel from a spherical perspective. So it can be in any any, any particular direction, and it fractalizes as well. So we have lots and lots of different event spaces that we can create as a function of our decision process, or the potential for decisions, or the possible possibility of decisions, or the possible possibility of possible possibilities, or the potential of possible possibilities. So there's there you know throughout our throughout an incarnation, for example, there is countless thousands of us doing slightly different versions of what we're doing now. But for what this particular piece of sentience, this guy, or Gary, is focused upon doing now, that, that, you know, maybe there's one where I didn't turn up on time, maybe there's one where we cancelled, maybe there's one where um, we changed to next week, maybe there's one where we started early, you know, <laughs> and, all the, all, and all the downstream effects associated with those changes in interacting with each other create, mm. create the, the potential for, for parallel versions to be created
1: can I, Can I communicate with those other versions of myself?
2: um some people do and um, some people some people do and they, we sometimes call that schizophrenia, but also schizophrenia can be um, <clears throat> also be classified as being a number of different souls in the same body, and those souls are not behaving themselves they're, <laughs> they're, they're all trying to be the animate the soul that animate the body so that's another way, another function um, but I know of a couple of people who have moved their sentence um, unwillingly and at random into different versions of themselves and you know, they they've done things and when they find the spells back in this particular uh, event space or reality or no not reality parallel condition reality is different reality is something that you create within the within a, an event space um, they find that they haven't done it but they know they have done it you know that includes things like Flying in a plane, and, you know, traveling from A to B and those sort of things. And then they get back and then they, and their, their friends or their family or, or their colleagues say, well, you've done this, this and this. And you, well, I have no memory of this because they've gone, they've indiscriminately be bouncing around different, different event spaces or different parallel mm-hmm. conditions. Whereas if we can train ourselves to contain the transportation of our sentience, so that it's, um, in effect stays in one particular event space, excuse me, or, or we can move from one event space to another and know what we're doing. Then that's a different thing altogether. But yeah, we have myriad different versions of ourselves experiencing things in minutely different ways or, or, or majorly different ways as a result of the our decision processes, creating the opportunity for event space to create a new environment for us to work with. Hmm. And it's not just our environment, because other people also slot into it as well. So we all assist each other um, in a, shall I say, an unconscious way by creating similar or same environments that we can all exist within in a parallel way.
1: Wow. Could we trade?
2: How do you mean trade? I mean, like, mean yeah,
1: could I, I, I trade with like another, another me? Like, existence? Uh, like, can I take their existence and they take over mine and swap out?
2: That is, if you could control it, then the answer is yes, you, I, I guess you will be able to. Um, but it's, it's so, it's such a, you know, you have to accept that things weren't exactly as they were. Some part of what you're experiencing might actually be worse than what you're experiencing in the other reality. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we have to look at this and yeah, make a decision. Is it better than the devil we know than the devil we don't know?
1: Right. Well, even if it's not better or worse to get to have that experience just switching in and out.
2: Well, it becomes difficult. I mean, some people have got difficulty enough in working in one particular event space having to work in several event spaces i would suggest is probably you know it's overloading yourself by, by a function of the number of event spaces that you're working with so you know it's like going to work four times a week yeah four times a day mm. <laughs> if that makes any any, yeah. Yeah, any sense to teach to, to you yeah you're doing four times a work, which is the same thing you know, potentially so why, why would you do that? Right. It's best to just, it's best, it's best to know that there's some part of you as, has fragmented and created a double, a treble, a quadruple, fivefold, sixfold, sevenfold, et cetera, et cetera, version of yourself that allows the overall you, your higher self or your Godhead or your other soul to accrue in a multiple parallel way experience learn learning and therefore evolution rather than in a in a singular way
1: is it ever difficult for you you know being able to go to these other places and communicate with these entities and then return back here does that ever become like a struggle or do you ever feel a little bit Uh, fractured in your (laughs) consciousness
2: i don't think so but other people might say yes (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> That's my partner. <laughs> I I would say that I'm not most of the time. I am doing multiple things, um, and I'm not. You could I mean, and, and a number on a number of occasions, I've been classified as being not totally present because I am somewhere else at the same time. So, yeah, you know, I guess it is a bit difficult. Yeah, and don't forget that where we are is lower frequency. Um, is a really difficult place to be so trying to do things in parallel is is not an easy task it's certainly physical things in parallel is not easy but trying to do things from a metaphysical way is is, is very difficult for for anybody of any of any um shall we say evolutionary state or level or um or yogic ability for example
1: hmm um how does doing in your most recent book psycho-spiritual healing um how does that help the evolutionary process for us
2: well the healing is basically a way of perpetuating our opportunity isn't it um whilst we're incarnate here. So the the healing book is really about helping us maintain a healthy vehicle whilst we need to use it in this environment for our own evolutionary progression. So it's a bit like maintaining your car on a regular basis
1: mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> um, or recognizing that, you know, the, the cooling system needs to be flushed out because there's some silt in there, for example, or or you put the wrong fuel in the fuel tank. <laughs> um, it's 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 about removing things from our as our, our psycho spiritual programming mm-hmm. uh, not just not just energy healing it's, it's about you know, reprogramming ourselves where because over over a period of an incarnation we can pick up all sorts of nonsense and create all sorts of perceptual expectations of an environment and how we interact with that particular environment so so based upon that this helps us to detach from those programs that we've created, which, cr- which creates um, energetic dysfunction, which permeates down and creates gross physical disease and illness and dysfunction, um, and sometimes organ failure. And so the objective is to try and change those, those things at the frequential levels, you know, the, energy, the energy templates that create the possibility for the gross physical to exist. Um, obviously the chakras as well help because they pull in the energy and they, they energize the energy templates. Um, and also our thought processes are a function of our, of our, our you know, experience how how, in, in how deep we become part, part, immersed in our incarnation. This makes us feel, you know, whether we are totally the human body or whether we start questioning the possibility that we're not the human body. And so when we, when we start to recognize that these thoughts, behavior and actions can be reprogrammed, we can change psychological, um, functionality. We can even change it with the body. We can change, we can remove illnesses as well. So the book is, is really a function of my initial training um when i first started to become a healer for example and then became a channeler and then, mm-hmm. and then I, do, I do the healing and the readings well on that but it's really about sharing the the basics of what i was taught and understand and the new methods of healing that i've been given by source to assist in creating the well-being uh, or the changing psycho-spiritual Functionality of of people who want to change and want to be built well and, want, and want to be fit and healthy.
1: Hmm. Um, does the astral body affect the physical body, and vice versa? Um, <clears throat> well,
2: the astral body is basically a function, something we create or don't need to create when we leave the body. Um, at night time, for example, we project the sentience out of the body, and we do other things whilst the, whilst the body's asleep and charging. <clears throat> and so it's it, it's, not, it's although there's popular text that shows that that we that we create a second body, and that second body is called the astral body. It looks like a human body. well, That's complete nonsense. It's not. We we although some entities do some some incarnate people do create a, a facsimile of their human form whilst they do astral travelling. In actuality, what we are is just sentience and energy—a the, the ball of sentience and energy. It's just that they—they're so familiarized with the, with the human form that they try to perpetuate that once they're outside the body as well. But in essence, that that, that form, irrespective of whether it's you know contrived into being a human form or or other, or is just the natural state of sentience and, and maybe with energy as well. Hmm. The the gross physical can't affect. The, the, these higher, this higher frequency versions of ourselves, these astral levels. But the astral levels can affect the gross physical. So whatever happens in, in the, in the, in the energy templates eventually gets manifest in the gross physical. The gross physical doesn't usually affect what's in the energy templates. And that's because most illnesses and diseases are created through a psychospiritual dysfunction, which is, which is absorbed by the energy templates which programs what the gross physical ends up being. We we can't change the gross physical without changing the, the, the energy templates. So if we change the energy, te- if you say, let's say for example, the extreme case, let's say somebody's got liver cancer. If we just cut out the cancer, from that liver, it will come back again because the energy templates created the liver cancer, because of the psycho spiritual dysfunction of the individual soul who's incarnate. But if we can change that and remove that psycho spiritual dysfunction and then remove the energy template that is manifest that illustrates a liver with cancer and change it and re reinsert a template that doesn't have, you know, a liver that doesn't have cancer, then the gross physical has to respond. Mm-hmm. So then the gross physical changes back into a healthy liver. And, and you could do the same thing with an arm if you if you lost an arm for example you could actually recreate an arm or a leg or another or another um, limb
1: so but you're that suggesting that be, it's possible yeah. between physical medicine and the spiritual healing that somebody could have immortality in a physical body
2: they would have to be in a really advanced state of knowledge and detachment from the gross physical. But, yeah, that's possible. I mean, in the old days in India, when there was, <clears throat> when it, when there were really advanced yogis who'd spent their lifetime working on themselves, they could perpetuate the, their bodies adding to an item. I mean, there's, there's lots of stories and lots of examples of it, of, <coughs> excuse me, of yogis who buried themselves for years sometimes. Usually... You know a few days or weeks long enough to you know kill the body basically if it, if it, if it was done wrong but these people just slow yeah you know, they just put themselves into meditation and they're experiencing everything they want to experience but the gross physical is, on, is in stasis so when they come out of this state of, tra- of transcendental or somatic meditation um then the, the physical body is just like it was before so you can leave. So, so for example, you could leave the body for 30 years and come back, and the in the body's the same as it was 30 years ago. hasn't aged. The aging process is because we allow things to become dysfunctional, and that dysfunction is passed down to the to the, the energy templates. It programs energy templates, and eventually programs the growth hormone.
1: One of the topics of your new book that I find interesting is in here is described as astral entity removal and astral mucus clearing. Mm-hmm. So, so we pick up other beings and the, their consciousness makes us sick?
2: Yeah. I mean, the, the astral mucus is really, it's a popular way of suggesting we get covered in muck. Low frequency debris, and that sticks to our aura. Now the aura is a um, a waste product. It's a function of the of the <clears throat> it's a function of the function of the chakras and, uh, energizing the, the the templates, allowing us to animate the body. So think of it this way: if you think of the 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 human aura as being like a heat generated from a light bulb,
1: mm-hmm. the
2: pr- primary function of a light bulb is to illuminate. Whereas the part of the function of the resistor creates heat, so we get heat, and that's that, ra- that radiation, that waste, that waste product, that, that heat is radiated from it, is similar to the um, human energy field that's created the different frequency levels as a function of, the, of, of how the chakras work and charge up and can maintain the energy templates um, that they are predominantly representing and represented by. So, so yeah, in that in, in that instance, we the the we can we've we got this thing around us called this, this energy field, which is like heat from a light bulb as an example. it's more it's more electromagnetic really at that perspective. but it, it can attract you know low frequency um, energies which can clog it up really or can can clog it up. and so those things can be can be cleaned off and and it allows us to to operate better because when we have this low it's like dust or low frequency stuff. Glue all over us, it slows us down a bit in terms of how we interact with others and how we interact with our environment, you know, how, how we think, behave, and act. Um, but if you remove it, it makes us much, much more vibrant. Now, astral entities are created in two ways. The first way is we can create them, and we usually create them subconsciously, in, in, to in, basically to attack other people or, or to express our disgust or our distaste or our. Or are not liking of somebody.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And it's, it's like, it's like giving energy, energy animation. Right. And so it, 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 and they can, this animation has the level of intelligence associated with it. And it can, and they can, um, <clears throat> read this as, as being the need to have a form of, a form of some sort, a form factor of some sort. The other way astral entities are created is through this, this, this Darwinian evolution of energies they coalesce together and as they get more and more bigger and more dense, they start to create a, a, a rudimentary evolution uh, sorry rud- rudimentary intelligence and uh, but they find that they they can't sustain themselves so the way to sustain themselves is to find a <clears throat> energy source and what's the best energy source that which comes from, uh, from the chakras of those very powerful very highly evolved entities that are incarnate into a construct that needs to pull in energy from the environment. So they like to attach themselves to us. And um, so there's a dis- there's a, a disturbingly large percentage of the population of incarnate mankind on the Earth that's um, got something attached to them. And it's taking their energy. Now, sometimes it's symbiotic. So sometimes this, this symbiotic relationship is created where the astral entity will create a condition where the person has this um, charismatic ability to coerce people,
1: mm-hmm.
2: or or, it, or the astral entity will, will give them feelings of of doing the right thing at the right time, and make them very materially wealthy, and you know, those sort of things. And in 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 exchange for that, the the the, the incarnate soul in the human body will, will exchange energy, energy to these entities to maintain them they're getting a benefit from their being attached to them
1: that sounds like a fair trade
2: (laughs) it's it's cumbersome and it doesn't help at all no to be honest and and some people get addicted to having this these entities attached to them um because because the 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 power i mean some of them give them power yeah power over other people that's a Mm -hmm. massive it's a massive gift And you can see how some people are very charismatic uh, because they're being promoted by their astral entity who's taking energy from them but he's um, giving them something back in return which is attractiveness or or charisma.
1: What happens to these entities once they're removed from the person? Um, Do they lose their energy and die or do they just attach themselves to somebody else? But, well, they don't die, but they can be reabsorbed
2: into source. A good a healer can detach them and then basically, um, get them to be reassimilated or go back into full, full community with source so that they, they lose their individuality. But the, the sentience and that which has been accrued or, or intelligence or consciousness that's been accrued by these entities, uh, is, is absorbed by source and is therefore benefits from it. Um, but some of them can, if they're particularly, be stubborn or adept then they will find another host ASAP
1: Hmm. (laughs) Um, the other thing that I found interesting about this book is the psycho-spiritual reprogramming what is that yeah
2: well it's basically changing one's uh, let's call it personality Uh, if, if you've got a problem with being in groups of people let's say that you you can't cope with being in a group of people um where you can't cope with meeting new people for instance that's a that's a phobia isn't it a psychological dysfunction yes so what what we can do with that is go into the psychological the psychospiritual programming of the individual um, remove the conditions that created this dysfunction and give them confidence to be in groups of people and they will be, and, and and so the fear of being in groups of people, and the distaste and the discomfort of being in groups of people, will disappear. and It does. You mm-hmm. know, it's it's a simple, it's as simple as that. It, it's it's a very powerful tool, and I've used it you know, very, 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 very successful. Um, the the thing is that people would probably potentially be a bit fear mongering. Oh, you're changing up my personality. Well. The personality is temporary anyway, it's, it's 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 the ego, and the ego is the temporary function that's only available to us when we incarnate. and that and that's created as a function of our almost total lack of communicative uh, bandwidth with our higher self or, or Godhead or Oversoul or True Inner Self, and so our sentience starts to become self-observant and self. Um, uh, so it starts to think of itself as as being what it's what it, it's in what it is in its environment, and so at some point the, the sentience starts to consider that it is the human body. Um, so that, that so that's what the ego is. It's it's a, it's a temporary function of the incarnation. We don't lose that. We don't lose it um, when we, we when we, get, we leave our incarnation. The our true the self or higher self absorbs that which it is and it becomes a very minute part of. That which has been experienced in, in an incarnation, and so the the soul when it goes back into communion with its true of itself, becomes, well, it can enter back into a number of different versions of communion. But in essence, if it goes into full full dissolution, then that's a way of explaining what happens to the the the, the personality. It's a bit like if somebody's got some amnesia. You know, there's a, there's a temporary memory set which is created whilst the amnesia is, is is in is in play, and then when that person starts to remember who who they are, because the, and the because they've you know, the, the the reasons for the amnesia has been taken away, then the memory set of who what they are floods back in again, and so they they're bigger than they were. They're the the temporary memory set that's been created through the amnesia, but they're also the 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 memory set that they've had for all of their incarnation. And it's a bit like asking me into communion. And so the the, the temporary memory set, which creates the ego, in the sentence that creates the ego, becomes minuscule in comparison to the rest of whom we are when we leave, leave the human body. Hmm. But people would worry about reprogramming because, mm-hmm. you know, they think they're losing their personality, but they're not. It, it's not about losing personality, it's about changing the way we operate a perce- uh, changing our perceptions changing our identifications changing our labels etc etc with this particular incarnation in the way that we're interacting with this
1: in the second part of this looks like it's about changing habits um, you know breaking a habit is hard like quitting smoking giving up, alcohol Mm -hmm. sex all that kind of stuff money Mm -hmm. power i mean those are the things that really seem to drive us in this physical form Mm -hmm. um how do you i mean if you reprogram somebody out of their habits um how how, how do they survive uh, afterwards uh, uh. well
2: If you're addicted to to smoking, for example, it's it's an addiction. It's it's a karmic link between you and a, a way in which we interact with the gross physical. Mm-hmm. If you stop them from smoking, they're not going to die. They're not going to die. Yeah. It's just that there's 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 a piece of automatic functionality that they've got that is no longer there. They still exist perfectly well. And so when I change somebody's psycho spiritual programming to remove some function of fear or anxiety or the oppression or functional expectation within groups of individuals or you know, anything else associated with something which is stopping them from functioning properly, you know, in a focused and robust and repeatable way, they they don't have the the urge or the addictive feeling associated with that which is which has been removed because it's gone, all the history of that addiction's gone. all the, the the bodily functions or associations or responses associated with having their fix of whatever' he's gone. The memory's gone. it's like it's never been there. So they they carry on as if they've never been smokers, they carry on as if they've never been, never been uh, a drinker, carry on as if they've never had a, a loss of confidence. Mm-hmm. Carry on as if they've never had anxiety in groups of people. Yeah, you know, it, it's 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 changing the phobias and the karmic addictions, mm-hmm. or removing them as the case may be, rather mm-hmm. than changing the person themselves. It's switching it off.
1: What about? Oh, I mean, one of the most neglected like, addictions that I would say is out there is being addicted to being alive
2: well that's a function of the ego isn't it, <clears throat> it the, is. the ego yeah, absolutely yeah. the ego is, is a temporary person after in created the function of our almost zero communicative bandwidth with our true energetic self. and the ego wants to remain in power he wants to perpetuate his own existence for as long as it can it inherently knows that the gross <laughs> physical will demise, and it will, it will demise at some point as well. But it also knows that certain practices would reduce its dominance as well. And so spiritual practices result in us increasing our frequency. And when we increase our frequency, we start to increase our communicative bandwidth. And when we increase our communicative, communicative bandwidth, we start to know who and what we are because we remember stuff. And when we remember stuff, we start to realise that the that which we thought we were isn't what we really are, and therefore the the, the ego starts to dissolve. Well, it doesn't want that, <laughs> you know? so the only way so, so, so the only way it can maintain its own existence is making us operate in a low frequency way.
1: Ah, damn that ego! It's a pain in the ass.
2: Oh, it well, it's... It, yeah, and that and the rest. <laughs> it's it. I mean, people. I mean, we shouldn't we shouldn't dem, you know, demise the ego because the ego is useful to us. It does help us perpetuate the human form, which is useful for our own evolutionary progression. It's the survival of instinct, mm-hmm. you know. It's it stops us from doing things that would probably destroy the body too early. For example, it helps us to rationalize and to ways of danger. It's it's a useful tool at times, but we have to make sure it, it, is, it, it is a tool and not a It's not a a controlling factor,
1: right? It's not who we really are. It it shouldn't be. I don't think maybe the the dominating force.
2: No, it's not who we are. It's it's a function of our existence at this particular point in this particular incarnation.
1: Yeah. Cool. Um, So before we wrap this up. Where can my listeners find you and find your books?
2: Well, the books are available on all good book websites. So Amazon's a good start. All the different Amazon um, websites, you know, .de, .i, .gr, .co.uk, etc., 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 .com. Um, Nook. It's on Nook. It's on Kindle. It's on all of the... Um, e-book platforms, so you can get them from Barnes & Noble as well. You can get from Watkins books in London. Um, all of the, uh, shall we say, Asian uh, book-selling websites as well. ABE Books, stock them. Mm-hmm. ABE Books is a worldwide book marketplace. ABEbooks.com or .co.uk, et cetera, they're a good place to see the books. Um, but you can also look on my website and see what's going on there, which is www.beyondthesource.org dot org, and you can see what's going on there, see what's, where well, I'm doing lectures or courses or, um, how to book a, book a course or how to do a, book a reading, a, consult, a healing consultation. Um, it's all on the website or it's all on, 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 um, on Amazon. But also you can go onto my publisher's website, which is ozarkmt.com and they've got all things associated with myself. You buy all sorts of different gift packs and audio books and ebooks and um there's also the other authors that uh, are associated with my publisher as well the plethora of stuff there associated with the greater reality yes I it was dot not my publisher
1: okay well, i'll post those links in the notes of this episode so my listeners can get a hold of your books and check out your website and buy and read some of these books because i have i think i have all of them now and it's really really interesting and it's it's very in depth too I, i i mean i've done you know quite a few interviews and read quite a few books and yours put things into a very logical perspective
2: that's the engineer in me and <laughs> <laughs> um, my my wife was a, a, a scientist She's is a, a medical microbiologist and i'm an engineer and you, you see things in a scientific way which is which is good because it then it then gives it quantifiable sust, uh, substance doesn't it And that's the whole point with all of this yeah is that the ability to re, the ability to relate to it mm-hmm. in a way that is physical when it's not physical, it's not this low frequency. And that's important because we are we are in these particular incarnations, physical entities. Although we're not totally, you know, we're not really physical. We're just percentage and energy. But whilst we're in the human form, we're in this particular version of our diving suit or environmental suit. We are and think, behave, and act in this particular way. And if we can relate to things by using commonly understood law based platforms, then by law I mean physical laws, not um not not uh, not law in terms of criminal law, then we can start to relate to it as being right and real because when we do that we've then got the ability to you know use it as an anchor point or a datum point. So okay, that makes sense because of this, that makes sense because of that. And one of the things I like to say is that, you know, just think of um, how today's metaphysics is tomorrow's hard physics. You know, a long, long time ago, we used to call the ether, you know, mm-hmm. the, what was, what's ended up being radio waves, you know, and, there's, and the radio waves are quite, there's a, there's a plethora of different frequencies associated with radio waves, you know, right to microwave radiation, right to the top end, the radiation associated with the ultraviolet and, and infrared, you know, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond, which we can which we can use, but we can't see now why do we accept something we can't see? Touch, feel, taste.
1: Right, we experience or smell. It. We use that.
2: Or experience it. it what what why do we accept? It? It. Because we've got a device that allows us to do mm-hmm. it. And so although we 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 um, deride metaphysics and spiritualism as being mumbo jumbo because we can't we can't see, touch, taste, hear or smell it. Actually you can't smell radio waves. It's just that we've got technology. So all we need to do is let technology or understanding or capability or training of individuals catch up to the point where this becomes more commonplace because we've got a vehicle that allows us to to interact with that which is currently metaphysical but will be commonplace tomorrow.
1: right, well you definitely do a great job at explaining these metaphysical concepts and laws in a way for somebody like me who thinks in a very um I don't know, linear fashion i would guess a <laughs> methodical type of way and, and it makes sense so uh, thank you well, for doing but, that well but, but to be honest
2: thinking in a linear way is, is what we do I mean, this, this is
1: it's human yeah. <laughs>
2: it's, it's, it's the human condition it's, it's because of the low frequencies we can only we can only deal with things one one way at a time I mean, we're understanding things that are available to us to be parallel processed, and we've started to use technology to parallel process things. You know, and we're starting to think of think of, of dealing with things now in terms of processing them in a, um, so we say, spherical way, mm-hmm. or taking all potential possibilities as a way of calculating things. I mean, they're using the sort of Using this particular framework of computing, as they're calling it quantum computing, which is quite frankly nonsense. But <laughs> because <laughs> quantum computing would be would be the ability to use low levels of quanta, such as the leptons, as the framework to create your your physical um, computing platform. But they but they but they're trying to use the word quantum computing to to describe a a more three dimensional, so to speak, method of parallel processing. <laughs> right. But uh yeah. But uh yeah, I mean at the end of the day, um these ideas, albeit limited and maybe even misrepresented, are putting us in the right framework of mind to be able to accept higher levels of concepts and understanding. Excellent.
1: And it does. It's amazing
2: um well it does it look it's, it's, it's the more we know the more we will know you know we, see, we have to be able to know it's a bit like having the tools to make the tools if you haven't got the tools to make the tool then you can't use the tools so you can't make the tools. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> that makes it uh that makes it a bit more understandable it's, uh, right
1: yeah like we have more, to learn how to add and subtract before we can do algebra and stuff like that
2: that's right that's right yeah you have to, in a linear way, we need to understand that we can only understand this sort of math before we can move on to the next sort of math. But when we start to work in a parallel way, we can start to know that we can, once you're up to a certain level, it can move off in more than one direction. It
1: mm-hmm.
2: can move off in multiple directions.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's a good analogy. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you for taking the time to be on today. This was really interesting.
2: Well, thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you, Gary, for letting me be on and, um, and talk. It's, uh, I can talk a lot. It's good to have the time to talk and uh, share some, um, a minute amount of the information that I've, I've got, of which, of, of which my information is, a, my, is a, a microscopically small amount of information out there. So uh, Yeah. just use whatever you, if, if you read my stuff or somebody else's stuff, just use it as a... As a, as a a platform, a springboard, to find more deeper information.
1: Yeah,
2: we're all we're all standing on the shoulders of giants, and uh, you know, people who are leaders, and their objective shouldn't be to be a leader all the time. It should be to get other people to be leaders who are better than them. <laughs> that's,
1: that's the, <laughs> I think that's the whole idea. Should yeah, be that's anyway. the whole
2: idea. That's the whole But the ego gets in the way sometimes. <laughs> wants to stay <laughs> <top> dog <laughs> Great. Well,
1: Uh, hang on one second, and I'm just going to play the outro, and we'll wrap it up.
0: Okay. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable on KGRA Radio. You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or email him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can buy t-shirts, coffee mugs, and other merchandise to support the costs of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of his page, www.everythingimaginable2020.com. Oh, yes, I almost forgot. You can buy his book, Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need, and it's on Amazon. It'll change your life, because remember, everything that exists was first imagined. Hey, if you love what you listen to, don't forget, rate, review, and subscribe.